Hello and welcome to another episode of Time Out with AMPS. Uh, my name is Eugene Berger and I have three esteemed guests that are joining me today. Um, the first of which is Neil Allgood. Hi Neil, how are you doing? Hi, good, thanks. Uh, Eugene, thanks very much. Um, second is Mark Waite, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks Eugene, nice to see you. And the third is Alex Dutton from um, our UK AMPS organisation. How are you doing Alex? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you, Eugene. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Uh, as good as can be, I guess, in these current circumstances. Before we do move on to the current circumstances, though, it would be great to get some introductions from you guys. Um, so, yeah, as we started with you, Neil, could you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I run the hybrid cloud workspace team within the UKI Point Next organization. And essentially, the team deliver solutions around VDI, primarily focused on public cloud, but including a mix of both cloud and on-premises uh, in hybrid models. Great stuff. How about yourself, Mark? Uh, so I'm a, a client platforms architect uh, in the worldwide team. I, I'm in the network, workplace, and IoT practice area, which is a, a team that covers all of the different um, workplace areas. Um, I'm focused on workplace stuff, predominantly Windows 10, VDI, and Office 365. Um, occasionally, I get my fingers dirty doing things like Office 365 transformations. But in the main, my job is to try and work with all of our different geographies, like Neil and, and Alex and the team, um, to try and help them um, socialize stuff across the world. So something that's working really well in Australia, for example, we might bring and share with the guys in the US or the guys in the UK, but also create new services and products that then are utilized by the guys in all the different geographies. That is a vast amount of knowledge and we definitely will be pulling on all of that today, Mark. Alex, um, uh, can we maybe introduce you? Uh, yeah, sure. My name, uh, so I am a lead solution consultant within the UK. So I work with our sales teams um, to build up technical solutions, predominantly in the public sector um, for our workplace environments, um, typically sort of Microsoft um, 365 environments, Windows 10, that kind of stuff. Um, but I also look after the UK and I strategy um, for workplace as well. Excellent. Yeah, so as you can see, we have three very experienced guys from um, a certain area. And if you haven't already guessed what today's topic is going to be, it's VDI and everything that goes along with it. And I suppose that's that's the first question that I'd like to ask of our guests today is, when we say VDI and everything goes along with it, what are the different variations that we have? So I'll take that very quickly. So um, a lot of people will remember VDI from back in the terminal services and the original Citrix days back in the sort of early 90s um, and uh, or mid 90s. And it, it was a product called Metaframe. I first put it in a, a, um, a telco uh, a very long time ago, and it was to allow guys on X terms to be able to use Windows desktops. Um, but the original use case was around sharing uh, environments you could you could build spin up a, a server and you could have multiple people using that server and it was all around ease of management and ease of uh, being able to maintain that environment very quickly and easily the other thing that you found was if you had a very thick application back in the day you know in the sort of 90s and 2000s your applications might be a few meg in size and client server was you know de rigueur at the time if you've got an app, a fat app that's running on a local 
um, Windows PC and it's making calls to a database. If the person using that PC is sat in Australia and the database is sat in, in, uh, in the UK, you get a latency problem and the app performs really badly. So one of the big use cases that people had was being able to uh, move apps into a virtual environment like VDI yep. and allow uh, someone in, in Australia, for example, and this is a live case. I actually built a system that did this where the apps would run in the VDI environment in the UK and give them really fast response times and allow them to work as though the app was local to them. So long term, what then happened was Citrix realized actually, you don't have to virtualize the whole of the desktop. You can virtualize just the application. And then application virtualization was born. So rather than you opening a Windows desktop and logging in like you did with terminal services, you would spawn what looked like a normal app. And it would load like a normal app loaded on your desktop. And in the background, actually, what it was doing was loading a Windows desktop and exposing the app to you. But that meant that you didn't have the app installed on your local machine. It was running yeah. in a server in, in the cloud, in the, in the data center. So then came along um, VMware and virtualization and the way that you would put containers together. And then VDI, as we know it now, was born, which would be sort of Windows 10, as you have right now, loaded as a bit like you load a, a, a Windows Server 2008 or okay. 2012 image on a VMware hypervisor, you could put a client operating system in there and there are, and that's how you wrap around things like Citrix, Zen Desktop and and um, the VDI management stacks like uh, VMware Horizon View allows you to have those virtual desktops that are like physical desktops running in that virtual environment. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what I'll do is I'll pass to Neil to explain how it goes to the to the cloud because Neil knows around, around the cloud stuff a lot better than I do. Okay, thanks, Mark. Yeah, so basically the next step on from, from delivering apps and desktops on premises on physical hardware is shifting the, the management and even in particular use cases, the running of the compute from that on-premises environment into public cloud. So the likes of Citrix these days are, are delivering a very services-oriented approach around Citrix cloud solution. And so that whole infrastructure is abstracted from the customer organization through a, a control plane. <clears throat> and also delivery of compute from, from virtual machines that are running on cloud environments such as Azure and AWS. So then that gives organizations the potential ability to scale and to be flexible about what workspace com compute they are that they're running um, and when and uh, and when and so control the costs around that. So it's an extension of the way that companies have run on-premises VDI solutions in the past, uh, but offering a more potential scalability. Okay, so effectively, what we're saying is that you know VDI and everything that goes along with it has been around for many, many years, and obviously, you know, it's become really pertinent um, in the last few weeks, if we're if we're really honest, because of you know the current pandemic where we we we're currently in. Um, what are your customers seeing, and what was I suppose firstly, what are you guys seeing from a a workload point of view? Are a lot more people asking about this? Is 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 this something that is a flash in the pan, then we're going to go back to normal or, you know, let, let's, let's see where that uncovers. Yes. So I think what we're seeing is 
more organizations in a rapid adoption of remote working practices and, and having to deal with the tools that they may not necessarily uh, have had to use in the past. But they're having to do that under circumstances where cash flow uh, and budget may not be forthcoming. Um, and they're having to implement these in a, in a rapid tactical way, uh, potentially at the expense of uh, a strategic and secure environment. So customers are essentially deploying these solutions to, to mitigate what they're seeing in front of them. It's an interesting topic because didn't we, you know, I'm assuming that most of these businesses had some form of business continuity. And, you know, what are your thoughts on or what are you guys thoughts on how this has affected the business continuity side of things? This, that's really interesting. So, the, and that's a really good question. Uh, I was actually reading uh, the in 2019 um, business continuity industry documentation, and it's the it's the document that you would look at if you were doing what used to be called ISO um, oh BS 27999, which was the BCM standard, a bit like your ISO 27001 for your information security. So you would go for that standard if you had all your BCM in place in the right way and you would hold it and that would show that you're accredited as a BCM planned organization. And they have a really nice document, a bit like the Gartner Magic Quadrant, that shows you which are the high risks that you need to deal with and which are the things that aren't really going to are going to hit you. Yeah. Um, if you look at what was in the red alert area, it was things like cyber attack and reputational incident, critical infrastructure failure, political change, supply chain distribution, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And actually, disease outbreak, the pandemic, was quite a far way to the left and down to the bottom left. So it wasn't something that – and this was predicted for this year. So it wasn't something that a lot of companies will have taken account of. They tend to take in most cases, in my experience of having done BCM design when I worked the other side of the fence, um, you would plan for a site outage or a, 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 an environment outage. So if you take um, a, a, a stockbrokers, for example, they have very specific kit that they use on a day-to-day -day basis sat yeah. at their desk as a trader. They've got all these multiple monitors. They've got what used to be called a KBX is now a trader phone. Those kind of things that they need that are very specific, that are very, very custom tools for them to use to be able to do their job. And that usually you'd have your office in the central London and then somewhere outside like in Swindon or Bristol or, or somewhere on the M4 or, or, or you know, um, Stevenage, you'd have an empty building that looked exactly like the building in London that had no one sat in it. But yeah. it had all of the same hardware infrastructure, all the same phone infrastructure, all the same networking infrastructure ready so that if there was a problem like a, a terrorist attack in London, these guys could all just decamp to these locations and carry on working. So... We've got all of the resilience in our data centers and we've got all the resilience in, you know, moving to SaaS services for mobility. But suddenly now you've got an issue where you've got, um, you can't just decamp to this other call center or this other location because you're not allowed to go in and join and be together. You've got to socially distance. And these guys were crammed together quite heavily in these locations for economies of scale, of course. Yeah, definitely. So they can't use that. So they're having to do this at home, and that presents a paradigm that no one has planned for. So it's caught a lot of companies um, on the hop, yeah. I think. Uh, and we've seen that come in from, from pretty much all aspects. Um, you know, what have we done in the short-term solutions to assist our customers? 
So there's an analysis um, product that we've pulled together very quickly, a rapid assessment tool that effectively we would sit down with a customer and remotely work with them to do a one-day assessment on their current scenario. So we would look at all of their current environment situations. We'd talk to them about their current pain points. And we would remotely via Zoom or Teams or whatever tool we wanted to use, get the right people on the call from the customer and go through all of the different challenges they're having and then work with them to try and prioritize what are the tactical things we can do really quickly. Some of them they might have solved, but some of them they might have problems where they might have had to furlough some staff because they can't solve that problem. So we might work with them to solve it using tools like remote desktop to a physical desktop PC, for example. But then the idea would be that we would then work with them to build a strategy to say, okay, how do we make this BCM incident, this this issue? Because let's be honest, this is just going to carry on. The new normal is coming and it's yeah. not going to be like it used to be, all right? We'll help, the, help our customers build that strategic view of what they want their desktop estate, what they want their workplace to look like going forwards so that this BCM event just becomes BAU and they can absorb these issues. And whether that's flexing out to the cloud, as Neil has spoken about, whether it's increasing the amount of VDI in their infrastructure, and VDI is just one part of it. We've talked about other options around networking. You and I have spoken about, you know, there may be ways to to use things like, you know, a lot of FSI companies will trombone their traffic in through their um, firewalls. Yeah so that they can proxy all of the traffic out to Office 365. So there may be clever ways to take load off their existing infrastructure, you know, and that's the type of stuff that we'll look at in this in this sort of one-day workshop. We can't promise to give you all the solutions, but we will try to do as much as possible to allow you to carry on working. Um, and that's, that's the type of work that we've done at the moment. Neil, did you want to add anything to that? Um, I so I think um, really um, all, all that um, that we need to add to that is that when we're looking at this stuff and when we're advising customers around this, the, the kind of short-term stuff that, that we're talking about, that you know, the remote desktop and, and solutions like that, um, are, are really starting to help customers in the short term. Um, what we've got to think about is. Um, you know, is that sustainable in, in the longer term? And, you know, how do we support our customers for, for a, more of a strategic um, view? Because obviously, you know, running up a, a you know, a, a remote desktop um, environment um, in the short term adds additional overhead, additional management, um, and isn't, isn't really sustainable for the, for the long term. So we need to look at solutions that allow customers to have a homogenous environment that works as well um, under you know, business as usual as, as it does under um, under a, a BCM uh, scenario, um, but is doing that in an efficient way that you know doesn't doesn't increase those overheads and gives customers a way to to pay for that um, in in such a way that you know it's not an it's not a burden in um, you know in in such a, an upfront way. Agreed. I think that the the other thing to add to that is you uh, we've also will help a customer identify what the mvp most valuable product looks like so what is it might be that you don't do a complete duplicate of what you've got on premise to allow a remote worker to work remotely it could be that there is a minimum viable solution that you can provision to allow you to work that's cost effective and as neil said that we can ramp down later on so it, you know rather than just 
customizing everything and making it all, um, you know, a duplicate and, uh, of the existing platform, you know, it, there, there's better ways to do it in some respects, and there are clever ways to do it. And that's that's what we want to try and help help our customers do is not just, you know, think outside the box a little bit on it. Yeah, yeah, make it what you're saying. I suppose that brings us on to an, another question that people might have is, is what are some of the objections that customers might have? You know, are there any? Is there is there something that we need to to help them, or you know, um, at least guide them towards, or away from, for that matter? So, so I think one of those is um, cost, as as we've said. I think um, customers may be pretty wary of, you know, um, out, uh, you know, sending up a, a new budget and out and um, uh, laying out, a, you know, a huge amount of um, of cash to to build a new environment that essentially you know, t- takes them forward. Um, yeah. and, and they may want a different way of, of dealing with that. You know, they may not have that, that uh, cash flow to be able to, to build new infrastructures. Um, and also, the, the, you know, they may be wary of the fact that, you know, cloud can potentially be very expensive if used in the wrong way. So, you know, one of the things that, that we are advising customers is new ways of being able to consume IT infrastructure and compute um, such that you know they can manage their costs in a, in a more um, effective way. Right? So I think that's certainly one one uh, one um, objection they might have, and, and ways that in which we can kind of mitigate it. Yeah, sure. How about yourself, Mark? I think um, from a a, um, a perspective of security, there there has been a lot of issues um, created by people reacting very quickly and and you know, urgently mobilizing services that aren't necessarily as secure as they could be and putting themselves at risk. So that's something that really needs to be looked at and assessed um, is how, you know, the, I think it was um, Atlassian has come out who run the JIRA platform and they have done a, a proactive scan on the JIRA environment and found that a lot of customers have just opened up their JIRA environment to allow their developers and their teams to go and work mm-hmm. from home. Um, but that includes a, a, it introduces a different risk. So we want to try and understand what risks you you need to mitigate, what challenges you're going to have, and and what things you've already done as well to try and mitigate um, the problems that you've got by allowing people to work from home. I think you know we we saw in HPE it's worth saying we saw a capacity issues um, and. HPE is, you know, we've been mobile for quite a while. So those companies who've who've embraced mobility and moved to Office 365 in most cases have sort of come out of this, not unscathed, but they've found it um, not quite as much of a disruption as, um, you know, factory type environments or or office-based companies where this has really made a huge change to the way that they're working. I think HPE still, though, have had issues with, um, access via VPN, and we've had issues with capacity on our um, collaboration tools. Um, I mean, we even had uh, everyone has seen the issues that that we've had with Teams, where Microsoft ran out of capacity pretty much um, at one point, where Teams calls just weren't going through at 9 a.m. in the morning during the first couple of days of lockdown. That's now been resolved. Microsoft have thrown huge amounts of resource at uh, Azure and at Office 365 to be able to alleviate that problem. But even beyond that, things like Zoom, um, we've all seen the news reports of the collaboration tools like Zoom yeah. that can cause issues around security. 
um, you know, it's it's understanding what the right things are to do and how you want to use those tools and what how you want to leverage it. You know, um, I think that's those are the challenges that people are getting. I think also we we've been on a few calls with customers who wanted to understand not around the technical side of things, but just around how do you deal with remote working? How do you deal with management, <laughs> the management of change side yeah. of things? You know, um, uh, how how do you deal with uh, issues of uh, capacity when you're trying to do a video conference when your kids are downloading films on Netflix, for example? And it's, yeah. you know, it's understanding the things that you need to try and put in place and, and the support networks you need to have. Um, uh, here at HPE, we've, I've been working from home for three years, apart from times where I'm a few months on, on site with customers. In the main, I've been sat in my home office. And actually, it was a real difficult thing to do the first few months. You feel very isolated. But once you learn how to use the tools and you learn how, you know, we would put together things like coffee corner meetings. So once a week, we'll have a meeting where we'll all sort of talk about the stuff we've been yeah. doing. And it's not necessarily a team meeting. It's just a chit chat. A bit like we're doing here on the podcast, and that really helps because you get you get that bounce off people, the collaboration that you miss when you're all sat in an office, and building that you know teamwork and collaboration again in an online environment takes a little bit of time and a little bit of clever knowledge, but once you've done it, it, it works really well, and and uh, it, you, it it's a different way of working, it but is. but it's not it's it's not entirely. Um, Without its positives, yeah, yeah, and I, and I think you know, I think what we're seeing is that that, that companies who maybe uh, were wary of having you know a large workforce working working from home um, and and worries about productivity while while people were home, I think what we've seen now that we've all been thrown into that situation is is that that actually is um, you know is is largely unfounded and, and people are finding ways to be. Um, as productive um, at home as as they may well have been, you know, working in in offices or in other areas of work. Um, so so that's something that's, that's kind of certainly helped, um, you know, organisations to to start thinking that that you know this could actually be something that um, that will work on a wider scale than than previously. Do you think that's something that's here to stay, or do you think with the new remote working, people staying at home, that actually people are going to they're going to miss that human interaction, and there might there might be a drive to go back into the office, which actually is a different viewpoint, I think, to what a lot of people are saying is how people will stay at home now because of travel restrictions, and I think that might. Well, I think didn't IBM do that? I seem to remember there was a whole scenario where IBM allowed their staff to work from home for a period of time, and then they went through a period of time of forcing all their staff to come back. Oh, yeah, into Yahoo the office. did it as yeah. well. Um, yeah. Um, and it's, I yeah. think these things are quite cyclical, aren't they? They, you know, some things are flavor of the month, but it's, I think it'll be interesting for some people that without a doubt, the world is going to change in the way we work, but I'd it'd be interesting to see which way it goes. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree with that. I suppose just bringing that back to something real now that we can actually, you know, sort of close the, close off the conversation with a customer is, you know, you've mentioned that we've got the the one day workshop that we can assist them with, and we can then sort of right size it on whether it needs to be on prem or in the cloud or a variation of it. But you know, what happens if they don't have the money for it? And I know, you know, you mentioned a little bit around the the Green Lake uh, model, but but do we want to elaborate a little bit more on that so that it makes it a little bit more real for customers? Yeah. So essentially. Um 
as a as an organization we've put together a number of solutions uh that can help customers um take advantage of new technologies without necessarily having to lay out um uh, capex costs uh, up front and 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 to enable them to spread uh their costs more evenly so um uh, for instance, you know, when you're looking at um, a cloud model, uh, we have an as-a-service model wrapped around um, uh, cloud delivery of compute, where we can deliver on uh, the major um, public cloud environments and manage that from from a control plane that allows you to essentially manage um, all of that compute from from a, a fairly straightforward environment. Um, Wrapped around that, we can we can build in um, uh, services, managed services, and and um, advisory services that allow us to kind of help uh, the customer build out the right kind of environment um, and to structure that um, to structure that build out such that essentially we can um, allow the customer to consume um, that over over a monthly cost and, and, and amortizing that cost over over a period of time um and, and obviously the the paying for compute in in the cloud is natively um subscription based anyway so you know wrapping that whole thing around we can we can provide a service um that, that gives a customer you know a, a you know an upfront uh, sorry not an upfront cost we can give a customer uh, a, a standard cost that they can understand and and, and uh, pay monthly basis i think um if we look at on premises and then the solutions that, that mark has been looking at um around our uh, green lake lighthouse program um mark perhaps you can give some idea around uh how that's structured yeah of course so um thanks now so it's the way that we built so i'm one of the two architects myself and a chap called Alfred Parkfrieder we're the two people who sort of pulled this together with a with a great team of people around us um, and the Greenlight VDI Lighthouse is trying to bring the cloud style of consumption to an on-premise environment using the Greenlake engine underneath it so via HP financial services but with uh, almost an outcome as a service type design so much like we don't um, all go and buy made-to-measure clothes every time we go to the shop. You know, if you're going to go to Primark and go and buy a T-shirt, you don't tell the Primark person what size, it, what um, direct dimensions you are. You you just go and pick a, an L or an M or whatever you are, okay? And in the same with IT, there's a lot of times where we think we have to design stuff and make it all made-to-measure, but actually... We did a lot of analysis when we designed the GreenLake VDI service and looked at a lot of, uh, you've got to think that 60-odd percent of VDI implementations on Citrix are done on um, HPE hardware. So, you know, there's quite, and I think it's something like 80% of Moonshot deliveries are done with Citrix as well. So it's it's quite a lot of our infrastructure out there that we power VDI environments. So we've got a lot of knowledge around the work that we've done in the past to deliver these VDI environments. And we looked at all of this work and we worked with VMware and with Citrix to build this model. And roughly, if you divide the the, the uh, VDI landscape into pieces, there's five pieces. There's five types of user from a shared server on a um, terminal services type environment, which could be a thin call center running an application or a, a Zen app, an app virtualization type environment, all the way up to 
what you would consider to be trader workstations, sort of multiple screen, mm -hmm. dedicated VDI environment, or even an engineering environment. So we've done um, VDI deliveries for car manufacturers um, in the past, and they've been able to work with CAD documentation and 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 move those big documents around that historically have been quite difficult to manage. And you know, you want security around it as well. So it goes all the way between sort of very basic to to um, full-on engineering. When you mentioned the car industry, um, are you noticing that this is more relevant for certain industry verticals than others, or do you believe that this actually is suitable for everybody and that really, you know, we should be speaking to everyone and helping? So, so I think there's two – I think actually there's two different sets of, of – of, uh, verticals here. I think you've got healthcare. It, it, it's mainly around um, uh, control. So it's mainly around the security and control around data. So if you've got a business that's very much a controlled environment where you, you know, like finance, like insurance, where they're accessing data that may well be covered under GDPR, things like healthcare, um, you know, those tend to find that they have a natural requirement for a VDI type environment. Um, you find that people like us in HPE, although we don't touch that data, we might work with it. We're not a VDI user in HPE at all, for example. We, we very much have gone to securing the data itself and dealing with working yeah. with Office 365. So that's the other side of the, you know, the coin. There are a lot of companies that will have um, the ability to move to that mobility paradigm. But you might have a section of your business, if you take a mobile telco, for example, that would have their call center on VDI because it's the better way to deliver it. Or they might have contractors who are coming in to do development work working on VDI, as an example. So there are multiple use cases for a VDI environment. And in most cases, if you're already using VDI, you probably know what a lot of your use cases are. Mm. I think in this scenario, there are challenges with identifying other areas of your business to use VDI because it, from what we saw uh, from the data in the past, in most cases, when you look at a business's use of VDI, the median penetration of VDI in a business is around about 10%, which means about 90% of their business doesn't use it. Um, I think that's going to grow. I don't think it's... Every vertical will need it. As I've said, you'll find a lot of the more progressive and modern companies don't need it because they've gone to SaaS and actually a lot of that is given by SaaS. But companies that have legacy applications that they need to mobilize that are now needing to be accessed by a, a remote worker, those are the perfect use cases for um, I'm sure e even within each different vertical or each different industry, Every different customer might have slightly different use cases for how they're doing it as well. So I'm assuming Correct. that things like the GreenLake for VDI actually takes care of that. And you might have power users, task users, that kind of stuff. And I'm assuming that, you know, that offering takes care of that. Correct. And that's why there's, that's why there's the five different T-shirt sizes, because not everyone is the same, but... Um, you might want different flavors, very slightly different flavors of each thing. So for power users, for example, we have two variants of power user in the T-shirt sizes. There are the power user with a non-persistent, which means that their session gets broken down and recreated every time they log in. And then for those power users that are like developers or that need to leave stuff running or want to use it on a regular basis and don't want the, the lag when they log in, you have persistent. 
And obviously, those have different use cases around the disk storage they need and so on and so forth for, for that type of environment. But you have those different T-shirt sizes you pick. And the whole idea is it should be as simple as we give you the list of T-shirt sizes. You tell me how many of each one of those you want. I can give you a price and it builds you an infrastructure based on that. And as you need more users to add to it, and this includes all of the licensing because we're a Citrix CSP. Mm -hmm. We do do bring your own license as well. But in most cases, the license can be bundled in, in the whole solution. We can then bolt on and, and work with Neil and the team to also put the cloud elements to it as well. So if you used Citrix Cloud with on-premise GreenLake VDI, you could actually move workloads in and out of the cloud as you see fit. And actually, the end user wouldn't even notice that you'd done it in most cases because you were literally just provisioning them, moving their environment out, and they connect into the same environment that they have done before through Citrix Cloud, and the cloud just points them in the right direction. So it's only the management layer in that case would sit in cloud. You would have an on-premise compute and a cloud compute, and you could you know, choose where you wanted the user to go. Yeah. Guys, just conscious of time, and I, I see that we're already uh, at the half an hour mark for the recording. Um, is there anything that you want to finish off with, Mark, uh, Neil, or Alex? Anything else that uh, we, we blatantly missed during this conversation? Nothing from me. Thanks, Eugene. I think that was very helpful. Yeah. I can't think of anything. Excellent. No. That's good. That's that's good because then you know, hopefully, our listeners are, 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 maybe they do have a question and they will ask us. Um, but yeah, guys, I just wanted to say, um, you know, Alex, Mark, and, and Neil, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, guys, if you are listening out for the next episode, and um, we're going to be talking about uh, business continuity and remote operations. We have three guest speakers there too, in John Hanley, Dave Roden, and uh, Paul Nelson. So do listen out for another episode next week. Um, and again, once again, guys, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, Mark. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much.